You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, good morning. Delighted to be here. Delighted you're here. It turns out some people wanted to be in the same room together. What a beautiful moment. Let me, let me just pray for us. Father God, we love you. We want to learn to love you more. For those of us in the room exploring you, I would just pray that your peace would sit upon them. Lord, I pray where we are become a dry and parched land that we would learn again to let a stream of running water wash over us and flow among us. Learn to become receptive and sensitive to your presence upon us. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, would you say what you want to say to each individual in this room this morning? Open our hearts and minds to you for this day, for this moment that we walk into. Amen. You know, I just want to start a new series this morning, but before I do, to some of you this is going to come as no surprise whatsoever, but I love holidays. I, I really love holidays. I don't think it's a secret to anybody, apart from one thing, mosquitoes. And uh, honestly, I am that person. I don't know if you've ever stayed in a room and there's like flip-flop marks on the wall from somebody who has tried to splat the mosquito. That is me. And um, I have to clear the room before I go to bed. And I've got one of those little plugs that you plug in that gives out an aroma and a little fragrance that tries to kill them and you wake up in the morning and there's a few more on the floor and I celebrate each one on the floor and um, I literally um, I plaster myself I don't you know that um, special spray or creamy stuff that you get I plaster myself in it about half an inch thick head to toe to the point where it accidentally goes in my mouth and I can taste it or I sprayed it on I can like I am breathing this thing in it's literally dripping off me and I can barely catch a breath and yet on the average holiday I reckon I have at least 15 bites that come up like cricket balls now some of you are like they don't come up like cricket balls I'm like no they do and if you need proof I'll send you a photo another time they're like boils and literally they come up from the second the jolly thing bites me and lasts about five days and it's like instant itch instant sting instant pain and irritation and I use On average, well, I take three, but I only use two and a half tubes of Ampersan with me on every holiday we go on. And some of you are like, no, no, you don't. And I'm like, yes, I do. Honestly, I do. And uh, I do. There we go. That's good. Uh, Steph's word is more authoritative. Um, And then then in in the same holiday, in the same period we're away, where I've had 15, Steph and the kids have probably had a maximum of five bites between them. And they're smaller than the smallest pinprick you've ever seen in your life and the kids are questioning have is is that a bite have we had a bite have we got one of those things you've got and then it's, it causes them no pain and it's very slightly red and then they're at that wonderful age where they remark oh yeah daddy we've got them too they really hurt don't they like that a beautiful british sarcasm unbelievable anyway here's here's my point for those of you who are like oh, where are we going with this 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 pandemic has, is, and will affect all of us differently. Our responses, even now as as we regather, we are delighted to be back. 
some of you will be feeling a degree of anxiety that we're back. The jolt to your rhythm of life. Oh, I'll try week one, but I don't want to give up my weekend every week. Different levels of okay. Different levels of comfortability in the room. Some in the room, some joining online. Do I wear a mask, no mask? Hugging, some preferring not to. Oh, you just kind of hugged me and I'd rather you hadn't have done that. The continuing uncertainty of what is going to happen as we lean into this winter season and every emotion and variation of that emotion under the sun that has caught us, impacted us, and at times for some of us has trapped us over the last 18 months. The injustice, the unfairness, the sense of loss, the, the missed birthdays, the missed key life events, the wedding plans that significantly had to be altered or changed, the births of children with nobody stood there with you to walk alongside you and to celebrate with you or to walk into you in what became a hard, challenging time, the significant loss, the bereavement. Now as things have slightly lifted, seeing other people very quickly able to do things that you couldn't do in that time or that season of life, celebrating in a way that you can't now get back. People who haven't acted or reacted in ways that you wanted, hoped for, or expected. Can I just encourage us, before we go any further, with all of that in mind, just to take a moment and just to take a breather and to drop it before Jesus. What a beautiful song we just sang, Hope is in the Lord, keep your eyes on him. If, if you walk into this moment carrying some of that, just take this moment now to drop it afresh before Jesus, to put it on the, the chair before him because the solution, the pressure relief valve, the, the perspective and the realignment comes in the eyes, the arms and the face of Jesus and Jesus alone. Steph has said to me numerous times, recently almost joking, that we just wanted to rephrase that phrase that we all know and is like slightly tiring us, but it's hands, space and grace. Man alive, do we need grace for each other to understand all of that complexity may not be said but it's in our hearts and it's in our minds we need to keep our eyes on jesus the main thing and the only thing 1 corinthians 12 27 all of you together are christ's body and each of you is part of it we need each other let's not fall over each other the enemy is the enemy we're not each other's enemy my brother is never my enemy colossians 117, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Not only does he hold creation together, he holds the church together. We're his body and he is the head. We want to have eyes on Jesus. We don't want to carry the pain into somebody else's life, let alone walk with it in our own lives. We want to carry it into the arms of Jesus, the only person who can hope and free, restore and redeem. I just thought that was worth saying before we say anything else. For some of us, just take that moment now to allow that to be. But let me, let me just start a new series this morning. I've called it this, the Outward Focus Church. That's what we want to be, an Outward Focus Church. We want to have vision beyond human capability. It's going to make more sense as we go along. I speak in series, so next week we'll link together and they'll all, week on week, you'll go, okay, maybe that was where we were going. But this week, I want to, I want to call this particular one this, choose the window seat. Okay, that phrase now is going to make no sense by the end of it. 
potentially it might make more sense. But just in the, in the conversation about holidays, I love holidays, honestly, other than mosquitoes. But holidays, there's just something about, it's not that I don't love being here and with you, but I just love holidays. And there is something for me about going on a plane. And um, do you ever think about where to sit on the plane? I'm that person who thinks a lot about where to sit on the plane. I am that guy. I love it. So I'm like a middle-of-the-plane aisle seat kind of guy. And uh, hear me out. I'll kind of explain why. Middle-of-the-plane, I'm not going to go into the detail, but it's the safest place to sit. Middle, because whether they let you on or off that plane when you get off at the front or the back, you're right in the middle. So you've got the easiest pathway to the way of getting off. It's equal distance to either. You also get often for free rather than having to pay with some airlines. Let's not even talk about that. You get more leg space because you're near the, like, the extra uh, by the wing, emergency exits and all of that, better seats. You're also not near the queue for the toilet, which when they announce you're going to land, that queue gets bigger and it starts to head towards the middle, but I've never hit it, had it hit the middle point. Also, thinking ahead, the refreshments cart starts in the middle. So if you want it, you've got it but then it's going to move away from you and it's not going to be annoying. Also, I, maybe this is just me, but I am a people watcher. So I just love watching people. So you sat in the middle, you can, you can basically see everything going on. So four-hour flight, that time is going to fly by, excuse the pun, by, by just like watching people and see what's going on. So you kind of gather like I'm a, I'm a middle-of-the-plane aisle seat guy. You're in control of your own future. You've got leg room. You get up when you want. You can go to the toilet. You can get the overhead locker when you want. You could just have a general wander if that's the kind of person you are, which I am. You don't feel pinned in. You can, you can stand up the second you land. Honestly, that to me is an important thing. You get that feeling. Now, I'm going to try and explain a feeling, but it's a feeling. So bear with me. And it may just be me that has this feeling and my family are always embarrassed by it. But it's quite hard to explain the feeling of landing. You know, like I, I just, I'm going to do it because I can't say it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> we've landed. And, and like you, you breathe it in, you know, you're like, we've landed here. You know, this thing has landed. And I, when we land, I stand up and I'm like, I can open the locker. If I need to open the locker. Oh, you can't open the locker. That's because you're not in an aisle seat where I am. You're in a window seat, schoolboy error. I can open my own locker, equal distance front to back. So I'm going to see you at passport control, but I'm going to be there before you. And uh, anyway, the one, one downside you may think is a downside is not a downside. You will be last getting on the bus if you need to get a bus to passport control. The best thing about being last getting on the bus is you're going to be first off the bus, okay? Last shall be first, fought this one through. I'm just serving those people. But the thing is about being first, first off the bus means you're going to be first at passport control, first at passport control, first on holiday. See, I think these things through. Some of you are like, you really do. I, I used to be an insomniac. These are the kind of things that I think about. Now, I just want to explain to you, those of you who are now pondering, well, I need to get an aisle seat. There are two downsides to the aisle seat that I see. First one is people want to get past you. Actually, that is not a problem in my world because I love it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you come on by. I've got another chance to get up. I can get to the locker. You can't. I can let you through. Let me serve you. Pass me all you like because I am not pinned in. Second one is this. You cannot see out of the window, which is actually, for me personally, quite an easy sacrifice to make because I don't really like looking out of the window because I'm, I'm like a middle-of-the-plane aisle seat guy. 
Now, just to take this a little bit further, I will move on at some point, but there is more, there is a real art to get in that middle seat. It's like bigger than an ending bid on eBay. You've got to know what you're doing to get that, that aisle seat in the middle. Anyway, this is the thing, okay? From the aisle seat, you can do almost anything and everything, in my head at least, apart from one thing. You can't look out of the window. I don't know, we can, but you kind of have to lean or lie over somebody, which can get awkward, particularly in a COVID world. But looking out of the window may be the most important thing you can do if you want to know where you're going or exactly what is going on. And if you're a people watcher or slightly nosy, you could say for me, you want to know what's going on. You need to see outside of the plane. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the most important seat in that plane is a window seat. Thankfully, the pilot chose the window seat and he actually sees where you're going. It is an incredibly important seat. I want to say this about the window seat. Apart from the pilot, it's probably a different world, but I don't think it's the easy choice. It's actually the harder choice. To be an outward-focused church, to have vision beyond human capability, we have to choose the window seat. We have to be a church that intentionally chooses the window seat. I want to say this to you. We are a window seat church. So what, what does that mean? It kind of means this, therefore, that some of your needs, some of your wants, some of your desires are going to take second place because first and foremost, we're going to be looking out of the window seeing who we can help first. Now, I'm not saying we don't care about you. I'm not saying that we're not giving everything we've got, and I hope many of us too, to you. That we're looking out for each other, we're trying to serve and meet the needs and love each other, but it's both and, not one and the other. We want to position ourselves and posture ourselves to be looking out. Does that make sense? Let me just explain it this way. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to turn to Matthew 22 starting at verse 2, and it says this. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to be notified those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent some other servants to them. The feast has been prepared, the bulls fattened, the cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and the other to his business. If you read a very similar variation on that passage in Luke, 8, uh, Luke 14, I'm going to read it. Luke 14 verse 18 says this. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. You know, sometimes it can be easy as a church to think that through its presence and programming and marketing that we're going to make a difference. But it says when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Luke goes on to say they all began making excuses. It says, I just bought a new car and I need to wash it. I needed the money, so I got a new job and I can't do both. I just bought a computer, I need to play the game, I can't be there. It doesn't actually say that if you read it. But you know what I mean. But he does say, I just got married. 
let's let's just expand that. I've just had children. I just I just I just what would be the I just. Now I'm not trying to cause you to feel downtrodden by saying that. I'm trying to cause you to elevate your mindset and your perspective because our culture is distracted. If the finest food and a hand-delivered invitation can't fill the banquet hall, what chance do we have with the menu that we offer? We're, we're doing our best, don't get me wrong. But we're asking people to substitute something that they think is valuable for something that we think is valuable and important. And which one do you think wins? In the current culture, it's always the thing that they would choose. Many young people at the moment would spend more time on social media in one day than they might spend in a church environment in one month, in six months. I'm guessing we could interpret this passage as saying, hey, even if the king invites people to his own son's wedding reception with the finest food, a great number of people are still not going to come. If we therefore position ourselves as an attractional church, we've hit the limit. Look at, look at the stats. I mean, it's easier to look at the stats in the States because they just love doing surveys and therefore the stats. But they, um, they say 64% of millennials raised in the church have dropped out. That's 64% who were raised in the church, let alone everyone else. See, I'd, I believe rather than a come to, we're, we're called to be a go-to church. I'm not saying don't come to church. I'm delighted you're here. Over the, the last year, it would have been illegal just to sit on a bench with one of you. What a delight to be back in the room. This is so important that we're an army and a body and a family that are filled up and sent out. But we have to have a vision beyond ourselves and a vision beyond human capability because this isn't it all. To be an externally focused church, we have to go. We have to take the window seat. We don't have to sacrifice one for the other. It's not either or, but we have to have it embedded in our hearts that we have a longing and a leaning for the window. You know, it's very hard to get the whole of this city into this church, to get the whole of this surrounding community into this church. But actually, it's not that hard to get the whole of this church into this city or into this community. It was always the heartbeat with 422. If you don't know, it's a building just up the road. You can find out more. But it was a springboard among many other things and many other ways. That's just one of them. But it's a springboard to allow us to love and serve this city. Yeah, it's been in a building phase. But that's not the aim. It's moving to a people phase. If I'm really honest, it's always been in a people phase. The partnerships, the networks, it's, it's unbelievable. It's off the chain. Because we want to serve this city. We want to find and meet the needs of this city. We want to wash the feet of this city one life at a time. It kind of sounds great, doesn't it? But it's actually really hard work. I'd say that has cost me, that mindset, that attitude has cost me dearly. And therefore, I know that it will you. It's not actually an easy thing to do. Absolutely, it's easier to sit in the aisle seat but it's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of comfort. Why am I saying all of this on day one? Shouldn't we just be delighted to be back in the room together and celebrating what that looks like? Well, the pilot looks out of the window and he gets on the tannoy and says, hey, this is where we're going. 
You know, in the early church, the Jesus followers through their compassion and through their kindness served the people around them. And it, est- it resulted in an estimated 40% growth decade on decade in the early church. This guy, the people love doing these kind of things, but this guy has done some research on that and the expansion of the early church. And he said this, a remarkable picture of the early Christians' involvement was this, with the poor, with the orphans, with the widows, with the sick, with the mine workers, with the prisoners, with the slaves, with the travelers. The language on the lips of those Christians was the language of love. But it was more than language. It was a power and it was an action. It was a do something thing. You know, throughout the following centuries, many of you will know the church played a major role in meeting the, the social needs and, the, and, and curing the social ills that were found in society. They were at the forefront in rewriting slavery, child labor laws, establishing public schools, universities, orphanages, and hospitals. You know, again, looking at the stats in the States, because they generate these kind of things, they said in early 2006, research found that nearly 95% of church ministries were for members alone, and that many didn't even have ministries for those that weren't part of them. Gosh, it's kind of of heartbreaking, if I'm honest with you, because the church, the mission of the church isn't to maintain itself. It's not merely to survive. We are scattered servants. I, I get the pain of the pandemic, but one of the joys was we were pushed out there. And there is something powerful in that. Many of you will have heard and read stuff and listened to stuff by a guy called Rich Nathan. And uh, when it comes to talking about stuff like I'm talking about today, he points to, to two parables, and I just want to draw our attention to both of them. It's the prodigal son and it's the good Samaritan. I'm not going to read either of them because we don't have time. But if you look at the story of the prodigal son, you've got the younger son who is the victim of his own rebellious sin. Nobody coerced him into it. He consciously, he deliberately, and somewhat willingly walked from his family to pursue a lifestyle of partying, drunkenness, and excess. You read it in Luke 15, and like I said, I'm not going to now. But we could draw many parallels today where we see similar, and we see some of the examples of what he lived out and went through. I think in cases like that, we we do well to be reminded of God's forgiveness and just how far that forgiveness extends, just how extravagant the forgiveness and the love of God is. Yes, what is fascinating, I think, is it's so much easier for us to be like the older brother, arms folded in the background, wanting nothing to do with the individual who's made such poor choices. In fact, it's easier then to unite with people who haven't made choices like that and actually turn the screw on the person who has. I can't believe they're living like that. Whew distance yourself we have to come back to the grace of God the God who rescues us through forgiveness you know you may find yourself here today I want to say no matter what you've done no matter what that might sound too good to be true but actually it is because that's the goodness of the forgiveness of God who welcomes us back longing for us to come back to our senses but where do we where do we sit are we on the aisle seat or are we on 
the window seat. You then flip to the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a slightly different dynamic. And in this case, though, the injured man isn't a victim of his own sin or his own choosing. You can read it in Luke 10. I'm not going to read it now. But he's, he's a guy that has been sinned against. He's been beaten and robbed of everything he has, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. But there's hope. There's the hope that God's people would respond, and there's the priest, and there's the Levite. But they passed by on the other side of the road. They did. I mean, but we wouldn't do that, would we? They did that, but obviously we wouldn't do that. Guys, I've got to be honest. I have, and I do. You know, that when you think of it that way, the revelation of that passage grabs me, and it grabs me pretty jolly hard. And when we really ponder that and sit in it, I believe the revelation would change how we engage with our schools, with our workplaces, with our line managers, with our neighbours. It will have implications on how we relate to each other and how we organise ourselves as a church. What does it look like for you to place yourself by the window looking for opportunities to serve others? If, you know, if, you're, if, if you're new here, you will rapidly learn a few things about me. One of them is I just love little phrases. Sometimes you can grab a little phrase and it can tell you something so much more about what you're trying to do and who you're trying to be. Many of you will be learning, like my dear precious children, just to roll your eyes when I share. Oh, here he goes again. No. Uh, but I, this, this is a good one, and I've, I may have built this one up, but look, I've not had the opportunity to share this with you for 18 months, so this one's coming at you. But... Um, it's this, we steer where we stare. We steer where we stare. You know, what we look at, how we look at it, is going to shape how we act and how we respond. What we, what we look at is going, to, is going to change how we lean towards it. Your direction is going to be dictated by the things that you turn your attention to. I mean, people come up with these little phrases. I kind of think Jesus said a lot of that in the Gospels, but that's another matter. But it's, it's, it's so much more comfortable to be in the aisle seat. But we steer where we stare. The, the priest and the Levite, I mean, they had things to do, you know? They're on their way to Jerusalem. They've got sacred and spiritual duties to perform, more important things to do than look after this guy that they met along the way let's just add a few things you can add your own things I've you know I want to protect my meal out with friends I can't engage with that. I haven't got time for that it's it's my day off my day off's my day off I'm not giving my day off for that oh it's going to get my living room carpet dirty having that many people around I was going to have implications on my wallet on my time on my energy on my capacity whatever it was for them, I think, could be applied to us. They had spiritual tasks to do. Have you ever found that? You've got other things you've got to do, the more important thing. I'd rather this was a safe little community of group of people that I know and I know them well, rather than inviting somebody else into it. I'd, ra I'd just rather it stayed a bit more comfortable i'd rather small group actually spent them their time i'd rather we just spent time I, i'm a bit tired and drained i just need some encouragement and can we just let's just you know meet our needs this week that's that's no bad thing but surely 
we're called to more than that. And unless we have a face turned to look towards the outward, actually the inward in itself becomes the default and the benchmark. But we want to look out. We want to spend an element of those times in those gathered small group environments, looking out, finding creative ways to walk alongside others, finding the needs of the city and seeking to try and meet them. I've heard so many stories of you guys doing that. It is phenomenal. Even just recently, just some of the gift packs that you do for people, some of the ways you quickly step into things. As soon as almost a crisis arises, you're trying to meet it. Some of the stuff around Afghanistan and what happened with that is just phenomenal. But, you know, both parables kind of point to the fact that without realizing, we can create in our heads reasons why we should disengage. Disengage with loving others or serving others. I'm kind of going to stray a little bit into something I want to pick up on another week. But just to unpack that a little bit, the prodigal kind of calls us and stirs us to share our faith, to extend grace and forgiveness to what might be considered the most unworthy. The second, the Good Samaritan, calls us to engagement. Engagement with those around us, to social action, to charity, to mercy, to justice. It's both and. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's proclamation and it's demonstration. We can't just talk about it. We've got to be people that do it. Our heart is led towards not just the transformation of the church, but the transformation of the city and therefore the communities that surround us and the individuals and the people in it. The, the answer and the solution to it all is always Jesus. It's the gospel. It's us being all in with our head against the glass, looking out of the window, watching, learning, serving and acting. Can I just give you one more soundbite? I try not to do too many at a time, but it's been 18 months. We've got to have another one. It's truth and it's proof. You can't just have one or the other. We, go, we can talk about truth, but we've got to live that out. Some of you might previously have been in church environments. Some of you might find yourself in this church like this, where, 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 where it's just one. I want to stir you today. I want to stir a reaction in you to use your gifts and your talents and to have a vision and a desire to put it into practice. We don't want to be a secret society. We don't want to be a stranger to this city. You know, Mother Teresa's power stemmed not from her position or title or wealth, but from her role as a servant. Would we be a servant, not only of each other, but also of this city? She, uh, she earned the right to be heard through a lifetime of service. Serving should be an identifying mark and characteristics of those that know and love and follow Jesus, and therefore reflected in and by his church we're called to tell the truth in a world that no longer believes in truth no longer even knows what it is you know sometimes our method therefore just needs to be serving the most effective way we're going to meet people is through real relevant acts of service we have to show the truth I actually don't think I'm bringing anything fresh in saying that. I think that's just literally what Jesus modelled and did. He served. He met people's needs. And when he met their needs and he served them, they listened to him. It was truth and he brought proof. People have given up on the truth because they don't think anyone can be trusted. The world is full of people who have been hurt by those who were supposed to love them. And to establish that trust 
we have to show our ability to love. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. We've got to be those people. We show truth. Honestly, I, I don't think this is a just a community thing. Oh, this is just what we do. This is a Jesus thing. We're shaped, our characters, our community through serving. It's what Jesus modeled to us and it's what he calls us towards. I want to invite you, come and get involved. Come and find a place to be that, to do that, to live that out. We want to be, yes, internally strong, but we want to be externally focused. Nearly everything we do, therefore, should prepare us and equip us for not only personal growth, but for personal impact. It's not just about us growing. It's about us stepping out and using all that we're given. What you're given and receive, you should give away. I want to I, I I activate some of you today. I want to stir that in you, the desire and the heart, not just to hear it, but to live it. We want to be a window seat using what he's given us to serve those that he puts in front of us. Should we leave it there this week? In a minute, we'll just say goodbye to those that have joined us online because we're going to have a time of ministry in this room. We want to make space for that, and that needs to stay in this room. But thank you to those for joining us, and just because you're out of sight, you're not out of mind. And I, I want to say that. Kind of just to explain for those of you that have not been in this room what we're going to do. We're just going to have a time where we just allow the Holy Spirit to move among us. And we always prioritize that. We don't want to dampen that in any way because of COVID. But we also want to ensure you guys feel as comfortable as possible in, in doing that. So let me just say a few things. What, what we'll do is a few people will probably come forward to be prayed for. Some of you may want to be prayed for equally where you are. Firstly, I think we've got the space to do that at the front and at the sides. I, I just wanted to say, though, if, if somebody's wearing a mask, can you assume that they would prefer it that you wore a mask? Because I think that's the honouring thing to do. So if you haven't got one and they're wearing one, there's some down at the front here. Also, we'd always prefer it that at least somebody praying for each person is of the same sex. I think we could explain that in length another time, but we'll leave that there for now. Also, sometimes... We, we love just to stick a hand on someone when we're praying for them. That, we could talk about that forever and a day, but I, I always think it's a good idea to ask if they mind if you do that. But particularly now, I think that is a good idea to do that. There needs to be, therefore, also some form of accountability. So all we ask is if you're praying for someone that you're, you're in a small group. All of that said, I don't want to kick the life out of it because some of you have not had anyone pray with you in person for 18 months. Like, I, there's a part of me that's like, surely we all want prayer this morning. Uh, whatever it said, but we'll, we'll let's see what happens there. This, but this is our bread and butter stuff. This isn't a bolt on. This isn't like a little extra thing that we do because we didn't know how to finish. We want the Spirit of God to rest powerfully upon us, and we do that by inviting him. Where he's invited, he goes. So we're going to make some space and time to do that. Why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.